0: Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Jonathan Abood, um, a, a very uh, prominent person in the community, wears uh, several hats and uh, made some news this week because uh, he announced that he was running for California State Assembly. So we're gonna talk about that and all the reasons why and get into a lot of local issues that, that Jonathan is really familiar about. How are you doing today, Jonathan?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I got a great night of sleep. I'm well rested and I'm I'm going on the campaign trail.
0: That's great. You know, um, you you made big news this week because you announced first, you're the first candidate to come out and say, hey, I'm going to run for assembly. There's talk right now um, at the state level. They're redrawing the assembly, the Senate, the congressional boundaries. Mm-hmm. This is done in response to the census and the population. And uh, it looks like we're going to get a a Santa Barbara County, uh, with a little bit of San Luis Obispo assembly district. And that's pretty significant. That's a shakeup from what we had in the past, which was sort of like South coast, Santa Barbara and Ventura. And, uh, so it kind of opens doors for a lot of other potential possibilities. They haven't finalized the maps, but it, it looks like it's going in that direction and it'll be done in a couple of weeks or so. So Jonathan, tell us why, why you're running. Um, why do you want to, uh, Take this on. Yeah,
1: thank you for asking me. And I think I think I'm going to stick to what I said in public because I think it is um, the most true statement I could say is what I wrote, and I, I really worked hard in uh, getting my words correct to communicate to people. And it's it's just this. For over a decade, I've lived here now, and I've been a community leader uh, for that entire time. Since since the first month I was here, um, I've gotten involved in my community. And I've served in so many different areas, from education and housing and the environment and good government. So I'm passionate about the Central Coast. I want to make it a better place for everyone who lives here, people who work here, people who have a family here, if they want to own a business here, and including people who go to school here. Um, And I think that my time as a community leader, I have gained so much experience and seen people from all walks of life um, and all all kinds of involvement in the community. And I want to take that experience and that knowledge, and apply it in the position of state assembly, I really want to work on uh, us moving towards a brighter future and a united future as a county. I think that's one good thing about this new map, is it's put Santa Barbara County together, where we can now work within the county uh, more effectively. I really believe in thoughtful and open and respectful communication. I think that's the key to getting things done, and I'm quite good at it. Um, And I I really would say I describe myself as energetic and selfless and responsible. And I really want to put people's issues first. It's really not about me. Um, I'm doing this to help other people. And I want to tackle the issues that people feel most important and bring the experience and knowledge I have to those uh, day-to-day issues in addressing them.
0: That's great, Jonathan. And I know that everyone who knows you and who talks about you just has Great words to say about your energy, your enthusiasm, your commitment, your work ethic, you know, and that that has come through um in your time in in Santa Barbara and uh, you know, Galita and Isla Vista and the South Coast. What are some of the issues countywide that that you think the assembly members should focus on? Um, obviously in the assembly, you're you're writing laws, you know, for the state. So yeah. it, it's different than. Being you know on the city council or being on the Santa Barbara City College Board of Trustees, what are some of the countywide issues you'd be focused on?
1: Yeah, thank you for that question and I think that is an important and interesting part of the job is that you're writing legislation that applies to the state, but you still want to make sure that the legislation you push uh, benefits the people here and that's what i'm focused on is i'm going to be involved in the statewide issues and i'm also going to be making sure that those statewide issues are reflected uh, in our priorities. So I'll say the first issue why I'm running um, is education. That's why I got involved in politics at a young age. When I was in high school, I got involved in politics because of the issue of education. It was you know, 2008 when the great recession had started and the cuts were coming down on the public schools. Uh, That's where I got my start. And so I believe in fully funding our schools I believe in funding them at the level that they need to be at to serve our communities. And I really, you know, on the higher education front, that's where a lot of my experience has been. I believe that we need to return to the ideals of the 1960 master plan, which were access to all in California, a seat for everyone. It was the highest quality possible and it was affordable to all. And they meant free and it was uh, tuition free to attend a public university uh, back in the 1960s in California. I do want, and I wanna bring in another fourth pillar to that master plan, which would be equity. That was missing in 1960, it wasn't a focus. And uh, I think that's another one where we need to be looking at. Here's a really tangible idea. Um, I've always been a proponent of developing more universities and colleges. Uh, and Since 1980, we built one UC and 22 prisons that's wrong. That's a misinvestment of the state resources. Why don't we have a CSU in North County, CSU Santa Maria? It could it could be something the state, if they were planning uh, and looking at the demographic and population changes, that's something that might have come up if the state was looking at higher education and doing that long-range planning from the beginning, like we did in 1960. And that's something that I would go for. If I was elected to the state assembly representing uh, this county, including Santa Maria, that's one area where it's a tangible change we can make, is bringing in uh, CSU, California State University. It's an economic driver. I actually believe that the South Coast has been so prosperous because we had UCSB here from since the 1940s and 50s. We've had UCSB here. It comes with its challenges, of course, having UCSB here. However, I do think the economic engine can't be discounted. And communities that have a California State University or a University of California campus do prosper. So that, you know, let's, that's me tying the statewide issue, which is our need to plan for higher education in the long-term like we used to do. So it's not like a new idea. We used to do this. The master plan was a 15-year plan. It led to the development of UC Davis and Irvine, Santa Cruz, we need to be looking at the same thing now, which is a 15-year higher education master plan and doing things. I mean, I do 100% support returning to tuition-free college for California residents and expanding the amount of seats available for California residents at public higher education institutions. And that's something I've worked on since 2017. I've been part of a statewide coalition of student organizations, uh, labor organizations, faculty groups, that actually developed a plan and wrote a policy paper called the 66 Fix that at least tried to quantify and build out a way to get to that, to bring back the master plan ideals. Um, That's not the only solution, but I think that the solution is doable and it just takes someone who's gonna be in the assembly prioritizing that issue Year after year after year, and that's that's one thing that I commit to to the voters is if I'm elected, I will champion the issue of higher education in the assembly. I will be focused on it, I'll be working on it locally with all our stakeholders and in Sacramento to make sure that California really prioritizes education. you know we're still at the bottom of the country in funding k through twelve we're similarly low. For higher education is it, our per student funding is pretty low comparatively to other states california used to be the number one leader in the country on this and i want to get us to be number one again
0: okay and i do want to talk to you about santa barbara city college and sort of your role in higher education on the board of trustees there in a second i want to talk to you a little bit about the the politics of this jonathan i um, obviously Journalists um, have become pundits, and we overanalyze everything. And you know, we we create these narratives really early on. That I know that you know, some people like, some people don't like. Um, but I want to sort of talk to you because as somebody who's covered politics here for a while in, in Santa Barbara County, you're out first, and that's great. Um, there's going to be a primary. Uh, there's a lot of people interested in this contest. Uh, a lot of a lot of Democrats. Uh, did, did you talk to people in the party? Did you, did you talk about whether you were going to be the one candidate that they were going to support? Typically, you know, the party wants to get behind uh, their strongest candidate because in a primary situation, as we saw two years ago, Charles Cole, you know, comes out of the primary looking really strong um, You know, the Democrats split votes and all of that. And I guess I'm just wanting to know, like, like, Did you ask for anyone's permission to run? Uh, What is your approach when it comes to that?
1: I I don't believe in asking for permission uh, to run. I think that's something that keeps a lot of young people and people of color and women out of office to ask for permission. There's a difference though. You still want to discuss your intentions. You still want to be transparent about that. And I did call and let a lot of people know my thoughts and interests before I announced publicly, of course. I wanted them to hear it from me first. Um, and I didn't want them to hear it anywhere else. So I did make a lot of phone calls. I did have uh, many meetings with folks uh, before announcing, but it wasn't asking for permission. It was a collegial thing. I want to hear from you. I want you to know you're my peer. It's important that you know directly from me and that I hear what's important to you and asking, you know, not all these conversations could happen at the length I wanted them to. So making plans to meet again uh, after Thanksgiving in December and maybe after the maps are drawn. But I do have a lot of respect for everyone I serve with in elected office in Santa Barbara County. Everyone. I do have a lot of respect for them. And so I want to make sure that those are conversations I have. Um, And it's some, you know, the, the maps aren't final. There could, like I put in my email, we could come back to a situation where it's not a map I can run it, and that that might change my decision uh, in the future. If, if it's a map where I'm back with Assembly Member Steve Bennett, I've already said I will not run, and I, I communicated that to him and others before the before I made a public announcement. So I did speak to many people, and I I'm going to continue meeting and speaking with others, uh, both in the party and people who aren't directly involved in the party, but. I have a lot of respect for everyone. And I, I definitely made sure to let people know. Yeah.
0: You know, some of the names, Luis Reyes, Martin, Greg Hart, uh, just some of the ones that have come up as, oh, they they might run and they would be viable candidates. I guess the hardest question I'll ask you today, Jonathan, is this. And, but it's the one that people will ask me, you know, and we'll yeah. ask you is, how can you overcome... Uh, uh, for example, a Greg Hart who might run, who's, who's got $400,000 in the bank and who's been on a ballot for 20 years and, you know, is somebody who's very well regarded in the party, um, you know, there, there's other candidates that, that are going to come forward. Um, what is it about you that's going to be able to, to emerge as the choice among voters?
1: Yeah, you know, like you said, we don't know who's actually going to run yet. And the two, you know, Luz and Greg, I highly respect Luz and Greg. I've I've worked with them in the past. I I know them. I I would if I wasn't running, I'd support them. Um, and you know, like I said, it nothing is final. We we are gonna wait until the maps, I mean, not we, I am going to wait until the maps are out. Uh, but at this point, it we the campaign has started. And I do believe that what will bring me over the edge to victory in, in any scenario that I'm in. So whoever's running, I think what I bring to the table in terms of winning a campaign is my work ethic, like we just mentioned, is I will work the hardest. I will work, I will go and speak to every voter possible and have that one-to-one conversation with them. If the voters choose that they don't want me as the assembly member, I am completely okay (laughs) with that, just like I was completely okay with it last time, because that's that's their power and that's their voice to, to be heard. But what I am committing to is that I'm going to spend as much possible campaign time that I have talking to voters one on one and hearing from them. And if that's a decision and then it's up to them to make a decision. Do I like this person or do they not or do I not? but i think i want them to have that opportunity to at least know me
0: yeah um i i have to say i remember that day very clearly at the faulkner gallery uh in santa barbara at the library when it was i guess the the pre-endorsement vote uh for the democratic party and and there was a lot of buzz and energy around you that day in that room and uh you, you got a lot of votes. No one candidate was able to get enough, uh, I guess, delegates or you know whatever the term is to emerge with the early endorsement of the party. Uh, but there was a lot of excitement about you and, and your candidacy. And I think people really respect your energy and, and your work ethic. I want to ask you about that, that contest. What did you learn from that? Um, Kathy Maria wanted to run for assembly. She was the mayor um you know she was not successful uh but she was a prominent name in that contest there were other prominent names what did you learn from that and having to sort of battle for that spot (laughs) i learned a lot (laughs) um i learned just i I learned a lot about myself i learned
1: about you know one thing i learned is my mom is an excellent campaigner she really (laughs) knows how to do it (laughs) i learned it from somewhere uh, actually, she's right now working on a campaign of voter registration for Lebanon's elections. So oh, yeah, okay. I did it somewhere. Um, and I think the main thing I learned is all the different issues from the voters and their priorities and how they think about issues. I think that's so key is not just what the issues are, but how someone thinks about them and how they prioritize them. And that's reflected in this campaign, uh, the what I'm running on now and how I'm wanting to approach issues is directly based on everything I learned last time directly from people at the doors. You know, you don't need polls. I mean, polls are good. They do have a place in a campaign, but I think the ultimate poll is the one that you do every day, door to door. Mm
0: -hmm. And that is
1: what I learned. I mean, why focusing on the issues I'm focusing on is because those were the issues that at the door, people raised time after time.
0: Let's talk a little bit about you, Jonathan. Um, you're a young guy okay that's what people are going to see right away people have compared you to sort of um you know like a young Doss williams or something you know when he arrived like wow look at this great energy and this hard worker um so you've been around in the community a long time but you're still a young guy around here you know relatively speaking so can you talk a little bit about your background and where you came from and how you got involved in politics
1: yeah, I'd love to. I mean, one thing I'll say is I am young. I'm I'm 29 uh, still. I'm in the early part of 29, uh, which is actually the same age as most people in Santa Maria, which is a big part of this district. It's, uh, Santa Maria is a very young city. Average age, I believe, actually is exactly 29. It could be different. now. It's the last time I checked. So uh, I do match with a lot of the voters of the district in that sense. And also being young at 29 i also have seven years of experience in elected office i, I did run a tough race when i was 21 22 uh, to get elected and so that's something that i think i bring to the table where i do have a lot of energy and i do have a lot of experience i have real experience in office in a tough situation you know i, I the city college board has not been you know a unanimous board you know we've had difficult conversations and votes and we've made a lot of good progress. I think I'm proud of the record I have there, but it was not smooth sailing. It wasn't, you know, 7-0 votes on everything that I got done. So I, I really understand that challenge. But, and at this young age, having been now in office for seven years. A little bit about myself, though, I do want to talk, you know, before Santa Barbara, before Santa Barbara City College in elected office. I was born in Los Angeles um, in Glendale. And I grew up in mid-city uh, Los Angeles. My parents immigrated here from Lebanon in the 1980s. And there was a, you know, there was a civil war happening there. They, they were fleeing civil war. Um, the, my mom, when she got here, she went to, to a high school in LA. She got here when she was a teenager. And when it was my time to go to high school, uh, she, you know, this is something I talked a lot about in the last campaign. I, you know, I'm almost repeating myself for like a millionth time. But she really believed that she wanted me to have the best possible future. She really cared about me. And she had gone to one high school in LAUSD and felt that that was not, that high school did not prepare her to be successful. They didn't prioritize her future. And so she got me transferred to a different public high school, Culver City High School. And that really is what started me even having an analysis of politics and to have that, you know, wonder in my head, why does this have to be the case? Why is it that my neighbors here are at one quality level of school and I'm going and getting another quality? Actually, my neighbors also, their moms also got them permits to other uh, school districts in the area. I wasn't the only one even on my block whose parents felt that they had, and my whole block, you know, I grew up on a block almost everybody was an immigrant from somewhere. My best friend was from El Salvador. My other best friend was from Sierra Leone. Uh, Other friends were from Puerto Rico. I mean, everyone came from somewhere on my block. Everyone was uh, in this melting pot. And our families were just trying to make it in this country, you know, they were just trying to have a good life. And that and we were impacted by just the school in our neighborhood wasn't wasn't conducive to that. It wasn't going to help us get to that point. Um, when I was in high school, I became very active in 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 organizing. Like I said, it was uh, when B- President Obama was elected president, when the global financial crisis started, when uh, the Great Recession took off. So that that was my experience as a young person seeing all that, and it got me uh, extra motivated. It made me believe that this country, you know, there's there's a lot of problems where you know, a global melt, financial meltdown like that hurt so many people. You know, my mom lost her job. Most people, so many people I know, uh, they, they were really impacted by that. So that, that was another moment for me where I started seeing um, that some, things would need to change. I got very involved in my, in my community at the time. I, I, uh, I've always been kind of, you know, I'll tell a story and then people can draw their own conclusions. I ran for student body president when I was in junior high, I was not part of the political clique, so to speak, of people who would be up for that job. I did pretty well. I think I came in uh, second or third place by a few votes. And after losing what I did, instead of just, you know, sitting out, uh, I went and started a student union that was focused on organizing for change on campus. Because I felt, you know, student government was focused on planning parties. I felt we needed to focus on policy reform for our school district that really impacted people on a day-to-day level so you know i lost the election i said that's fine we're going to go at it still and we're going to get these things done and that's how i spent my last year in high school before i came here to santa barbara was organizing i had no formal training in organizing i had you know my teachers were advising me a bit but that's that's where i first started cutting my teeth in. Uh, fighting for change and getting something done we had parents and the community and teachers and students you know all united over these few different policy changes that we were working on at that district so that's how I got to Santa Barbara was having had just finished that experience and to be honest I'll tell people this it's no secret when I moved to UCSB I wanted to come here for two years graduate as fast as I could and you know Get out of here! <laughs> um, I, I really was. I was really sad to leave my family. You know, I'll say. You know, I was very uh, and my friends in 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 uh, my neighborhood. But from like I said, the first month I got to Santa Barbara, I got involved in my community. I started working on university policy issues and housing issues at UCSB, and that's really what drove my involvement. And I ended up becoming. It was not. It was a very difficult political battleground to get to this point. But I became a student body president at UC Santa Barbara um, with the belief that we really, and again, everyone in office at the time supported my opponent. I'll say that all the sitting student executive leaders unanimously endorsed my opponent. I still won the election. Um, and the reason I was running then was because I really believed that the position needed to be used to its maximum potential and breadth. And we needed to do everything possible to fight for the student body in all the different areas. So I was working on a coalition for higher education since we had just passed Prop 30 uh, to stop the bleeding for cuts at universities and K-12. Then I wanted to take it a step further and start building a coalition to fight for reinvestment. And thats I'm actually now part of that coalition, the Reclaim California Higher Education Coalition. I also went into that student body president position. We said we wanted to reform Isla Vista governance issues. And we didn't know exactly what we were gonna do. But over that summer in 2014, someone told me, hey, have you heard about this thing called a community services district? You should look into it more. I've done a lot of research here. You should, you should look at it. And I did. And then that's, you know, now we're here. Now we have a community services district. Even though everyone was telling me, don't waste your time as uh, AS president working on that. It's an impossible goal uh, to get a self-governance done. And Isla Vista, well, we did it. We did it. And it just took the dedication and effort. But it started off, I started working on that uh, when I was uh, student body president at UCSB. So, those are some of, you know, I think one other thing I'll tell people about myself, I don't think people know this too much. Uh, I have a business degree. That's my graduate degree was in technology management, a master's at UCSB. And so that was another thing that I I think I bring to the table that's maybe different uh, than, than maybe, you know, other candidates is that I really uh, have been trained and knowledgeable in In modern business practices, my my business degree is really focused on the idea of market validation and iteration and continuous improvement and how to use marketing correctly and creating a minimal viable product that you launch and then you iterate and improve on that. This is what I learned about in business school and at at UCSB. And I think those are very, um, very important values or very important, not values, very important skill set to be a, as a legislature, because there it's the same thing as a bill, you know, what's the minimum viable product for this bill? Like, We want the best reform possible, but what can we get done here? And let's validate this idea. You know, a lot of times elected officials, me myself included, I'll, I'll include myself in this, we sometimes think we have the solution. Um, but I think sometimes solutions need to be validated. And, I, and that's something I really want to credit Assembly member Doss Williams at the time, now county supervisor, is uh, that's where I got a lot of my involvement right after graduating from UCSB, was working on Assembly Bill 3 that created the Isla Vista Community Services District. Um, I was that, that was a bill that was written by the community. And I was involved in that process, but it was 40 people were involved in that process uh, on a day in, day out basis. So I believe in that approach to legislation where their and the ideas need to be validated by the people and uh them having real input in legislation so i learned that that was my first real experience right out of college and you know I, I do want to mention this is you know graduating from ucsb um was i i was leaving without a specific plan you know i didn't have a plan to run for city college board uh that i didn't you know i'll admit i didn't even know there were elections upcoming or that they had just made districts that included isla Vista. I of course didn't know that. Um, it was just over the summer. I I was moving towards graduation, and people—you know—this is hard to talk about. Um, people are familiar with uh, what happened in uh, spring of 2014 in Isla Vista. and um, it, it it drove my decision. The the riot that happened in Deltopia and the uh, the shooting in on May 23rd. Uh, really changed my mind and said, I, I decided I was going to stay here in Isla Vista and work on this long shot idea to create self-governance. You know, we didn't have huge buy-in at the time when I made that decision yet, um, but, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen or what it was going to look like, but I I jumped into it and it's it's been successful. And it wasn't an issue that people said it was impossible, but I did believe in it.
0: Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. You know, that's quite a inspiring story of like making things happen, making something out of nothing, uh, and overcoming initial uh, outcomes that you that didn't go your way, and and moving on from them, learning from them, and getting better, you know, all the way from high school to, to UCSB. And then you create this new form of governance, which obviously has a, a huge role and it's still developing, still, still growing, you know, in Isla Vista. So that's, that's quite impressive. Um, yeah. let, me, let me just go right there then. So if we're talking about Isla Vista and, and you know, education and, and city college, uh, uh, Isla Vista, was is it, you know, 20,000 20, people, you know, the population or something?
1: depends on you know. how you count. The okay. census designated place of Isla Vista, which is the box, is uh, yeah. about 15,000, and then UCSB campus is another, you know, 10. Okay. So there's five. a
0: lot of people, right? right. And it's a community right. that, that you know, for better or not better or worse, however way you want to blame, it's a community that for a long time was, was neglected, okay? Yes. And you sort of yes. see it when you go out there. Um, so it's great that there's this level of governance now that's advocating for, for the people out there. Uh, we've had this controversial housing proposal that just came up uh, yeah. with architect resigning and Munger Hall and uh, these essentially these housing units that uh, don't many of them don't have windows uh, mm-hmm. trying to address UCSB's inability to provide enough housing for its students. Uh, they come up with this proposal and there's a huge backlash. What's your take on the situation? Yeah, well,
1: I actually wrote my take in a very long uh, article that I wrote a couple of weeks ago on, I think, the Friday before Halloween. Um, I, my take is that the state is the blamed party here. The state is the responsible party that led to this problem. Uh, there's a couple of different reasons. Let me explain. The first one is that the state has never made a direct investment in building student housing. You know, that. The state's always talking about how can we use our own land and how can we use our own resources to build housing because you know we can't always control what's happening in the private market so this is an area where the state has failed to provide housing for uh, its workforce and its students so all these universities 23 csu's uc campuses they've none of them you know they, they've never been supported in a real way by the state in addressing that issue uh, there were things that were done, uh, you know, interest-free loans from the federal government back in the nineteen sixties. Those programs definitely no longer exist. So, I think the state is to blame for never having really invested in student housing, and then they, they do something that I think is is very opposed at uh, at the ground level at the campuses, which is they drive something called unfunded growth, where they push new students onto the campuses. But do not fund the cost of those new students. So the state really has an interest in driving up enrollment. And I, I agree with the overall goal. Like we do want more people to go to college, right? We do, and that's why we should build more campuses. We build a CSU in Santa Maria. You might off, you know, you, you might take on a lot of other students who might be in other communities. Um, but we drive enrollment growth and we do want more people to go to college but they did not account for that enrollment growth. So they were telling UCSB you need to grow and they were forcing that growth on. It was not a choice from UCSB to grow or not. UCSB has no say in its growth. Legislators do. And they forced that growth and did not account for that growth in housing. So UCSB, I think, had a had their back between a rock and a hard place where they, they were having all these new students and no real way to finance the housing. Uh, this There's not also a lot of ways for colleges and universities to get the money to build new housing. Um, I was actually on the student housing committee for the chancellor for a couple of years when I was a student and really got a deep dive on these issues and how the debt limits work at UCSD and how they can finance projects with debt and what how you know one thing they do is they raise the rents on future students to pay for that debt so i think i think it is it was daft i said this it was very daft for them to bet their whole housing uh production on one project it was not a good idea to do that however who was going to fund the project who was going to fund the student housing project i mean charles munger I completely agree with his disagree. Sorry, I completely disagree with his um, philosophy here, but he put up the 200 million. Why wouldn't the state put up 200 million and buy him out of the project at this point? So I do believe that UCSB must build housing. It's so important. UCSB building housing relieves the housing market for families in the area. 100%. That is exactly what would happen by UCSB building enough housing for its students it will make life better for other people in this area. People in Goleta, people in Santa Barbara, people in Isla Vista, families there will struggle less for housing. There'll be less of a competition with uh, students who also need housing. But I think that um, at the end of the day, the state of California needed, needs to step up and needs to get involved in the construction of student housing. And that's starting. You know, This is the first year, 2021, where they... Mm-hmm had a hearing about it and allocated some funds. But I think what I would bring to this issue is that I'm someone who's been at the ground floor of student housing issues. I was a student housing resident. I was then on different groups and committees that were working on that. Now as a city college trustee, we just discussed student housing um, on Thursday at our board meeting. And I'll talk to you about that separately. Um, But I do bring in that experience on a direct level so that I could help the state assembly make better decisions on the future of student housing, because solving that issue is an educational issue. Actually, student housing is more of a cost for students than tuition. It's more expensive to house yourself while going to school than to pay the tuition. So it helps on that front and it helps local communities. That's really what we wanna do. We wanna reduce the impact that the state is having through its colleges and universities on low-income families who are also trying to rent in the area.
0: And I, th- I think that's a good point. A lot of people have this glamorized, romanticized um, understanding of the college experience at UCSB. Um, oh, you're going to UCSB and, you know, it's this great school and this environmental program that it's well known for and so many of these other disciplines and, you know, it's research, have fun. Well, UCSB is in Isla Vista, which is also the home of um, housing for, for a, a lot of low-income families historically over the years. And so when UCSB does not provide enough housing, what it ends up doing is driving out low-income families, largely Latino, with, with children. And, and that's a huge impact, right? That's not a romantic, glamorized, like, go get your degree. like oh, go get your degree. And because we can afford higher rents, we're going to take up those rents and we're going to push these families out. And where do they go? Well, it's a cycle. It contributes to homelessness. It contributes to so many things. Yes. And, uh, you know, just like where I live, um, there are UCSB students who are paying twice the market value for houses in our neighborhood. So imagine a family that can pay $4,000 a month which is a lot but you know, for so a <laughs> you know but imagine a family who who can pull together two incomes yeah we can afford 4 grand for rent you know in this this single family home no sorry uh we're going to rent it to the UCSB students whose family can afford 8,000 that's not an exaggeration Jonathan
1: that no is i know. Happening,
0: you know and so i think people need to understand that that It isn't just, you know, oh, just go get your degree and come out of here and you're off into the real world. You have to be socially responsible along the way because this is a community. You know, this is Isla Vista is a locals community. It's not just a UCSB student community. So it's great to see you thinking along those lines. Uh, What do you do with the Munger Hall proposal? How do you repackage that into something that works for housing, uh, you know, with windows? (laughs) I'm glad you asked me.
1: Um, I actually have, I have some friends who are very, um, who are very adept at looking at affordable housing projects and, and thinking about them here in this community and in other communities. So I definitely have talked to those experts and heard from them already. You know, there are things you can do, you know, if you split up Munger Hall into two 1,500-person buildings and kind of redesigned it, you might not get all that housing built, but at least you could have windows in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it really takes someone who's bigger than Munger taking over the project. I mean, at this point, that's the only money that's even on the table for the project. And I think there needs to be another source of funds that can take on that project. And again... I do believe it's, it's the state. Everything you said, Josh, was 100% true. I mean, that's happened in Isla Vista. They have Coronado Apartments in IV. That was all families. It got bought by Conquest Student Housing, which, what a name, Conquest. They evicted everyone, renovated it, and only moved in students. Um, it's, it is such a terrible trend. And it's, you know, we can say UCSB, and that's a shorthand way of saying the state of California, because who is driving the enrollment? who is demanding enrollment growth and who's not, Who? where does the school get money from? Where does UCSB get money from? Tuition and the state. And those two sources of funds are never used on housing. It's always a 100% separated business at, at the university. So at all the campuses, not just UCSB. So I do believe that as an assembly member, that is something I will directly take responsibility for. I mean, it's it is so important to me that, the state needs to take responsibility for its actions. And this is one direct area where the state was pushing one thing and not really addressing the full issue. And like you said, a lot of families have been hurt and not just here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Santa Barbara city college. Uh, it sounds like there was some housing talk you mentioned at a recent meeting. It's been yeah. lots of turnover there in uh, executive leadership at the top. Um, <laughs> The pandemic has highlighted so many issues related to to equity on that campus yeah. we were having those conversations even before the pandemic um tell me about what you're focused on right now as a trustee at santa barbara city college
1: yeah well i, I want to say two two to three uh great accomplishments we got done this year that i think will will move forward on this so one is that we i worked with uh, my my fellow trustee Marsha kroninger uh, to pass a policy on, on vaccination mandates. So that was able to get us back to in-person in a safe way and address equity because without that vaccine mandate for COVID-19, it would have been continually difficult to have safe in-person classes or even to have enough in-person classes. So that was so important and it, it, it was hard. Just like mo- most things I've worked on, you know, we started it in April uh, of 2021 it was vaccine mandates were a far-fetched issue back then. You know, you were like, that's never going to happen. No one's going to be doing those. You know, even even the federal government said that. Um, but Marcia and I were really determined that this is the only way to get safely back, because that's the equity issue. A lot of our students do need that in-person instruction. It's, we couldn't do it, though, without a vaccine mandate. And we, it, that mandate failed two to three times. Uh, before finally getting approved so again I'm persistent and it it was the right thing to do and we made it happen um another thing you know you know
0: but we would be remiss not to you know mention that there 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 was a lot of pushback against that and a lot of criticisms among um, members of the faculty and others um, about that right I actually would disagree, Josh. Actually, the Faculty Association and
1: CSEA, our union, both strongly endorsed the mandate and were pushing hard for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they they were strong advocates of the mandate. I think some of the percentages were north of 70% in support. Um, so the failure the,
0: in having to work at it a few times was just the board? Or the administration, the
1: administration, administration? Uh, completely dropped the ball and rolling it out and uh, how they communicated to the board versus how they communicated to the on-campus uh, members, you know, there was no on-campus planning for what a mandate, no discussion. It kind of, you know, Marcia and I had to get it on the agenda. You know, we had to use our, you know, both two trustees requesting it uh, to get it on the agenda. So our administration wasn't focused on it. And that, that was I mean, this is that, this is the past, you know, I don't want to get too into the past. Our new superintendent, she is fabulous, Dr. Kindred Murillo, She is such an intelligent person, such a strong leader, and she's knowledgeable about California community colleges and how they run and what they need. So we're in a really great spot now. The the board, you know, I'd say that's one of our top five decisions while I've been on the board, hiring um, as an interim uh, Kindred Murillo as our superintendent. Um, But yeah, the mandate, it was, I really think the administration was uh, at the time to blame at it, it being such a divisive issue. I mean, obviously it was going to be divisive anyways, but the way it was handled, I think, made it even worse. And so, you know, I was, I stood with our employees and our students in in supporting that. So that's that's the one thing is you know we had to pass that to be able to get back to in person to be able to equitably serve our students. There was no other way to do it. We weren't going to put people in harm's way, um, and and possibly caught catch COVID-19 unvaccinated on campus. And that, that's, that's not a thing we wanna bring on someone on our campus. So the, I, I'm proud of that. Um, another thing that Marcia and I actually worked together on, uh, Marcia and I have been, uh, we've, we worked on a few things this year together, is we passed a policy on employee student relationships. It's the first one in the California community college system and we had noticed that there had been a lot of issues with uh, employees at Santa Barbara City College and students having, I think, what I think are inappropriate sexual relationships. Um, that, and there were policies on this at the University of California and at the CSU. And a lot of the students um, were take, that were being taken advantage of were people from disadvantaged backgrounds sometimes. So that, passing that policy was really important to us and that's something I'd want to take to the state level is what, you know, why is Santa Barbara city college now the only college that is protecting our students in this way, whereas the UC has already done this. So that's when I would take to the state level um, and then you know, I back to the equity issue, we had a retreat a couple of weeks ago and, you know, it was, it's already crystal clear. I mean, most people already know that the colleges are disproportionately not helping students of color. Right. I mean, you don't need a, you don't need any real training to understand that. A lot of people who've been through the system get understand that on a personal level. But we got the data we got, you know, everything looked at and analyzed. And it's just clear, you know, we are not serving our black, our Latino and our Pacific Islander students anywhere near the same level we're, we're serving others. And so that's one of my priorities now is um, that the McKinsey Scott gift. Which was twenty million dollars that we received, um, and the HERF money that we've received we have you know we have about ten million dollars at city college right now in undesignated reserves that's thirty million dollars, Josh, that um, I think we really need to look at as a college and make strategic investments and one thing that all my all the fellow trustees agreed with me on recently is for that McKinsey Scott donation it is very. It's very nice to have a no-strings-attached donation, but we need to have our own strings for ourselves. You know, We need to have accountability and measurement of goals or else that money is going to be gone and nothing to save for it. So I really believe in having clear objectives for the use of uh, all these funds that we have right now, $30 million that's up to our allocation. I don't think we should spend all of it, of course. That's, that would not be fiscally responsible, but what would be responsible is having a clear plan and objectives for all that money and getting spent in a way that actually helps people at our college
0: yeah and um you know the equity issue i don't know what the maybe you know the percentage but you know certainly in the k through 12 and probably in higher education as well having the faculty reflect the population you know santa barbara city college <laughs> is a largely uh you know, uh Hispanic serving institution and uh obviously you want the most qualified people teaching but um the most qualified people are also Hispanic and are also uh you know and, and I don't think it should be controversial but you know uh, you know as a teacher the student in the classroom when they see someone who like looks like their uncle or their dad <laughs> um you know or themselves it means something. there's a little bit of a like wow I can do that too, Yeah, it happens. It's like a cultural thing. And, uh, you know, I think that that should be a goal is, you know, to have the faculty more represent, full-time faculty, <laughs> you know, and obviously I'm a, you know, I'm an adjunct there. So, you know, full disclosure, but, um, so many the college uses so many adjuncts, you know, it'd be great to yeah. you what know, is like 70% adjuncts, you know? Many, yes. Adjuncts 70%. are are our heroes because we teach all these classes, we drive in and out, you know, it's like we compete for parking. It's like yeah. You you don't get the benefits, you know, and all that. So maybe some of those issues can be addressed. Well, well, let me actually
1: talk about that, Josh. Thank you for bringing it up. Um, So faculty and staff diversity and matching our student profile has also been an issue I've worked hard on at City College. It never even used to be an issue the board was concerned about. So the first thing I did, you know, I also believe in you have to build your victories up. So in 2016, the first thing I did was we got a new policy passed that said, at the very least, the board needs to hear a report on our diversity and how it relates to the student body once a year. That we never had looked at that before, if you can believe it. Um, so we started doing that. So that report started showing the problems, you know, year after year, and it also was incomplete data. But the one that just came out this past Thursday at our board meeting gave you the data in every which way you could imagine it, you know, part-times, credit, full-time, non-credit, full, you know, we looked at every category of staff and every, you know, compared to the students. And you're right, our college is not reflective of the diversity of our community. Even the, you know, the part-times and the adjuncts, one thing we, one thing I've supported and is a reform of our hiring practices. I mean that's something that the board doesn't directly get involved in. It's an administrative issue, but it's you know, where we support. But um, our hiring practices, I don't think, are conducive to having that diverse uh, faculty and staff. That, and it's not just a feeling. You know, you say that, yeah, you, you see that as your own experience, and that's totally true. But the studies clearly show that academic success does rise when students are being taught by people that look and like them or have a similar background as them. So it is good. It's a good practice. It's good education to, to do something like that. And I'm proud that I've been involved in this issue and that we're making real progress. Our new superintendent, again, I, I want to sing her praises nonstop. She understands this and she did this already at her past colleges that she's worked on. Uh, diversifying the employee base was her priority. And so I'm glad that she's bringing that experience
0: here. Great. Yeah, well, I could talk to you all day about Santa Barbara City <laughs> College issues. We better uh, stop there. Um, we can talk. But, about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, this is a great conversation. And it's a real reminder of the <clears throat> diversity of your skill set, you know, and being able to go from city college to UCSB and these regional issues and then the background that you bring to it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, talk about your candidacy, but uh, also talk about the real issues every day that the community is dealing with and that you've tackled and that you've faced. Um, I'm going to give you sort of the last word here before, before we leave, but just sort of, you know, talk to people about who Jonathan Abood is about and, you know, what you want to know to them, know, what you want them to know about you as you start this, you know, huge effort.
1: I know. So, wow! I thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to to speak to the viewers and whoever might be watching today. Um, like I, I, already kind of said this, but I, I want to emphasize it, which is, yes, I am a bit young. I'm 29, but I also bring seven years of experience in elected office and four years of experience being the chief executive or the top, you know de- general manager of a community services district. So I've not just been on the board of a local government, I've actually also directly implemented the, um, I know how a government has to implement its progress and its, its projects. And I'll say that again, I've said this already, but I really address the tough issues and I go after them even after people tell me it's gonna be impossible. You know, they. when I ran in 2014 on student housing at City College, I was told it's impossible. This past Thursday, we applied for a feasibility study on student housing from the state. And I heard a majority of our board uh, on, you know on, supportive of this idea. So it took me seven years, but day in, day out, I made sure this is gonna happen and it is now happening. Uh, same with creating the Isla Vista Community Services District. Obviously it's not something I did on my own, no way, no how. However, I made a big life decision. I took a huge chance when I finished GCSB, and I said, I believe in this idea. I think it needs to happen. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to work on it. And it did It did happen. Um, and say, if I get into the assembly, I'm going to take that there with me. I'm, people might tell me, hey, it's going to be impossible to return to tuition-free college uh, for, for everybody in California, even though it's something our, our state did for a hundred years. You know, I might fail the first time. I'll get the bill in, in the next session and the next session. And we'll build that support and we'll get it done. Um, and that applies to every other issue uh, that the community brings to me. I'm, I'm a hard worker, and I don't believe in things being impossible. It, that's, not, that's not a concept I agree with. Um, I agree. I believe that what we believe we want done, we can get to being done. Um, I want to just say, you know, some of my record as well. At City College, I mentioned the vaccine mandate. I've, I've also been very successful there. And preventing layoffs. I think that's another major issue that you know we we've made sure that we haven't laid people off at Santa Barbara City College over the years. And I've been a leader on the board in opposing that. Um, I also want to say
0: you, you wanna... say the board saved those positions about a year ago that were on the chopping block by the previous administration. And yeah, um, yeah that's that's true. Yeah.
1: And I and, and that actually happened two years ago as well in 2019. We were going to vote on layoffs and we did. And I, I, I it was a 4 3 vote, I believe, that ended up preventing them. So it wasn't close, but I was I was very strong on making that making that happen. and. I just, well, I have some like fun facts about myself that people might wanna know. You know, I, I love to exercise and to work out and I, I'm a member of the Goleta Valley Athletic Club. So whoever else is a member there, you know, <laughs> I'll see you there sometime. Um, I love supporting our local businesses in our county. Um, my favorite tortilla chips are made in Lompoc. Uh, I go to Shalhoub for, for every, you know, for, as my butcher shop, they raise sustainable meat there. I go to the Isle of Us, the food co-op, to get my groceries and my produce. So I really love supporting my, uh, the local businesses that I patron. And you know, people sometimes think, are you, are you a promoter? Are you writing ads for these places? Like, no, I just really love them. And I love that. I would love for other people to know about them. Um, I love to grill. It's, it's one of my favorite activities on the weekend. Um, you know, Take time to grill, prepare food for the week, have you know, meet friends or family. That's something I love to do. Um, I speak, I speak three languages. I speak Arabic and French, as well as English, of course. Um, but uh, that's something, you know, my parents both uh, speak Arabic and French and something I've kept my life. And really, I think the beach is my favorite place to be. You know, I, I've, when I was in high school, I used to go to the beach every day after school. And now I live only a block away here in Isla Vista. And I think it's what I love most about Santa Barbara County is how, is how beautiful it is at the beach. And um, it's it's something I, again, I take that love of the beach and it, it translates into my environmental policies and climate change. And, you know, we didn't get to talk too much about that today. Um, but again, it's it's something I care about. So those are just some things about me that people might want to know. And they they would also probably want to know how hard of a worker I am and my experience and my accomplishments. So hopefully everybody uh, can can hear all this and You know, I'll give out my phone number. (laughs) Maybe we'll post that separately. But you can always email me at voteaboot at gmail.com. I really would love to talk to as many people as possible because that's what made the last campaign uh, great. And that's what's going to make this one successful.
0: All right, Jonathan, Well, thanks a lot. And uh, maybe we'll do this again after the primary, you know, have a (laughs) conversation. Okay, Jonathan, thanks for your time. Good luck to you.
1: Thank you.